Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today's going to be a fun episode with the co-owner of DSD Decoys. I've got Brad Cochran on the line. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I've been pestering Dave uh, for a while now, and he says, oh, I'm too shy. I can't come on. I can't come on. Brad, Brad would be much better than me. I'm like, you're such a turkey, Dave, and and he just laughs and says, Brad will come on. So I'm glad to have you, Brad. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah, Dave always acts like he, he gets a stage fright, and every time we shoot a video, um, he does he goes phenomenal. Fine. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The videos, I really enjoy um, watching the videos and stuff on your website. Um, Brad, I want to start out by let's talk a little bit about how uh, Dave Smith decoys, DSD decoys, um, started, and get a little bit of history and kind of you know how everything shaped together from you know kind of start from the beginning uh, to where we're at now. And I think it makes an interesting story because I think a lot of people don't really know uh, and they're curious how, how DSD decoys got got their start. Sure. Um, so actually, Dave Smith decoys started uh, long before um, I was actually involved um, with Dave um, as his business partner. It was back in 1998. Dave actually decided to um, create an ultra-realistic uh, Taverners Canada Goose decoy, which is more or less a, of lesser Canada for anybody not from the Northwest. Um, but, uh, yeah, there were no realistic, ultra-realistic goose decoys on the market, and what was available just wasn't really cutting it at that time. And um, so Dave decided uh, that he would, you know, take a, take a stab at it, and uh, he basically kind of threw all his chips in the, um, you know, one basket, decided to uh, quit his day job and cashed in his 401k and bought a rotational casting machine and a bunch of molds and away he went. And uh, he so did it. That, at that point in time, that's when all his family and friends are going, you're going to do what? Are <laughs> you're going to, you know, like, are you, you're, you're going all in, which, to make most businesses successful, that's what it takes, and it takes kind of that leap of faith just to go for it. But that's a big step, you know, going from, you know, quote unquote, having a day job to just going all in on, you know, making decoys. Yeah, especially because it had never been done uh, before. You know, there were sure there were decoys um, available on more of a mass-produced level. Um, and, you know, this was going to require a higher price point than ever before. And um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a big risk for sure. Um, and I wasn't around uh, there in the beginning, but Dave and I met in 2001, I believe, 2000 or 2001, several years after he had uh, made the first decoy, the first DSD. And um, we hunted together for a few years and did some guiding together. And I was blown away right away by how effective the decoys were. And um, after the very first time I hunted over them, 
I just never wanted to hunt over anything else. Um, so after a few years of hunting together, um, you know, I saw that Dave was doing the decoys uh, on a pretty small scale, you know, basically just out of his garage. And um, he had a few guys making parts for him. Um, but it was very, very small scale. And it was only uh, the Taverners Canada Goose line, and there were only four body styles at that point. So um, I don't know. I guess I just saw the potential and uh, never really wanted to have a real job. And uh, so right about the time I uh, finished uh, my degree at Oregon State, I kind of approached Dave about the idea of maybe taking our guide service into a decoy manufacturing business, and he was all for it. So you so, guys are you guys are goose hunting uh, together. You're guiding uh, goose hunts. You're noticing how effective the, the the decoys that Dave has created, and you you are thinking. Uh, uh, of, of a bigger picture, so to speak, and saying, man, we should really try and expand this. Um, one question I would have, and it's just a, a you know, typical business type question is, you know, was there, did you know it was going to be a sure thing or were, did you have some trepidation that, you know, man, I really, I, I know these decoys work. It's just a matter of, you know, getting them out, you know, to, to enough people and getting enough people using them. Um, but talk a little bit about the fear at the beginning uh, from, from either yours or Dave's perspective, or was it you, were you pretty gung-ho thinking you know that it, it was going to work? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, Jay, I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. I, uh, <laughs> I had a whole lot of faith in the product, and I hadn't taken – the degree of risk that Dave did in the beginning. Um, and I was young and gung-ho, and I never really thought, um, I guess the idea of the business failing never really crossed my mind. Um, I knew that it would be difficult in the beginning, and it certainly was, and, and it's not easy by any means even now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just always really had a passion for um, for the the decoy, you know, the ultra-realistic decoy line. One question that that leads me to, with the four body styles that Dave kind of started out with, um, and, and forgive me, but I, I'm not a goose hunter, and, and um, I, I've heard unbelievable things about the decoys, and then obviously you're going to get into, you know, the turkey decoys, but with the four body styles that he kind of started out with, how much has that, you know, how much has the brand in the goose decoys branched out as far as different posture, different position? You know, what are some of the things that, that you guys, you and Dave realized that needed to get better on the original um, setup? Or has it been kind of just the cornerstone and then you've just built off of, off of that? Uh, well, the first thing we knew uh, we needed to expand with was a large body Canada Goose decoy. Uh, there's a, a huge market for um, 
for a, a large Canada giant honk or whatever you want to call it. So we we decided that the next step would be uh, to come out with a, a a line of you know similar full bodies and a larger Canada goose. And I think we came out with eight different poses in um, that original honker line, and um, and it took off. I mean our our sales on the the honker versus the taverner, which we now call our lesser, is it's probably ten to one. Um, and really always has been. There's just a larger market for the for the honker size decoys. Um, and uh, since then, we've expanded the line, the goose decoy line, to include cacklers, uh, speckle bellies. Um, we've even done some smaller custom runs of uh, some European species like uh, barnacle geese, and we've done some pink foots and some gray lags, and even some um, even some brant decoys. So, yeah, we've probably got twenty-five or thirty different models of of goose decoys now. That's so. incredible. Um, when you guys were hunting on those original um, goose decoys, and then when you came up with them with the bigger um, decoy, what was the feedback not only from you guys but from you know customers? And how much how much do you rely on that customer feedback that you were getting, and how much was it just that you guys knew? You know, you want Dave has a real good eye of making things exactly how they look and and you know real authentic. You know, they look just like the real thing. But were there things along the way that customers would continue you would continually hear, and it would it would not force you, but it would kind of turn you guys in a direction to either come out with a different type of goose decoy or a different posture or something like that. Yeah, definitely all of the above. Um, you know, we kind of always joke about us, the the fact that we say we're our our first customers are are us. You know, um, we always try to kind of meet our own uh, hunting needs first, um, and and that, that certainly carried through over the years. You know, we 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 made the or Dave made the very first goose decoy because. There wasn't anything better out there at the time, and it's kind of carried over through our whole goose line. Um, but certainly, in the more recent years, I would say, um, you know, we've had more outside inspiration to uh, branch out into other markets, and the turkey line is a perfect example of that. Um, I had been a turkey hunter for. Oh, probably ten or twelve years prior to us actually releasing a turkey decoy, um, but it wasn't until we got a call from um, a good friend in Florida, a guy by the name of Shannon Kelly, um, that we he, he really kind of nudged us into doing a a turkey decoy. He kind of opened our our eyes to not just the market, but how effective. A realistic turkey decoy could be, and um, you know, I sometimes I wonder if we, uh, you know, how long would it have taken if we hadn't been nudged, um, you know, by Shannon? But I'm really glad that he did because I tell you, <laughs> the turkey line has just exploded. 
Yeah, and you've got all kinds of different um, postures and poses and what have you. And um, talking about those first turkey decoys, you know, the first one that, that you guys produced, um, did you know right off the bat that you would have a winner? And you personally, when you were able to take your first turkey decoys into the field, um, what kind of response did you have? And at you know, what point did you know, okay, yeah, th this is going to be good? Um, well, I had absolutely no idea how effective the decoy would be. Um, we, <laughs> we kind of, um, threw together a few prototypes just in time for the National Wild Turkey Federation show. Um, and when I say threw together a few prototypes, it took many months to actually sculpt the original. I don't want to make it sound like we <laughs> we rushed through that part of it, but um, we decided kind of at the last minute that we would try to make the National Wild Turkey Federation show, which was in Atlanta that year. If I'm not mistaken, that would have been February of 08, I believe. And uh, maybe it was 07. I, I can't remember. But in any case, we got there. And I remember I just had a stack of flyers and two prototypes of our upright hen decoy. And I had no idea how popular they would be at the show. You know, I got a booth kind of at the last minute. And so we were really on the outskirts of the... Um, <laughs> had a horrible booth space, I'm sure. Yeah, terrible location. <laughs> and we had um, initially vendors from... I mean, every, you know, every big name call company and, uh, and just all the, all the big players in the industry were coming over and, and kind of ooing and aahing at, at the two display decoys I had. And, you know, that was kind of flattering. And then all of a sudden the doors open and um, but I didn't have any product on hand at that point. And we literally didn't have any stock back at the shop. We were still building the molds. And so I just started taking orders. And, and once the, <laughs> um, yeah, once the show opened, people just started flooding into the booth. And I was pretty blown away by just how popular the, uh, the show was in general. I mean, I wasn't expecting there to be tens of thousands of people. Um, I mean, you've been there yourself. It's, it's a big show. And and those those people there they they take their their turkey hunting very seriously. Oh, absolutely, absolutely! It's a show that I love going to, and it's just a you know fifty thousand turkey nuts. I mean, the the most uh, intense turkey hunters in the country come to that show, and uh, I'm sure they were just drooling all over the decoys. But I see another problem forming. So you guys get there, people are falling all over themselves over the decoys. Now steps another problem, which you wouldn't think would be a problem, but now you're probably talking of too much demand and not enough supply. Initially, how did that, you know, how did you got, or was Dave with you at that first show was one question. And then, you know, were you like, oh boy, we better ramp this up. And were you able to capitalize um, and, and get enough product out there on the market? Or, or I assume it probably took you a couple of years to even catch up. 
It it did. Um, it took us many years to catch up. Finally, um, we're still not, I guess, fully caught up, but um, we're getting better. And to answer your first question, Dave was not at the show. I was by myself that year. Um, and yeah, the supply was zero, and the demand was through the roof after that <laughs> show. And I remember calling Dave on my way back to the airport and saying, um, you better get going on those molds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember thinking, boy, if we could just sell 100 of these things this year, it would be incredible. And um, I think we ended up selling about 700 that first year. Um, that was just the hand. And that was all direct. We didn't have any retailers at that point. And, um, you know, of course, I didn't take the first order until mid-February, so... It was a uh, it was a big hit. It was a big hit for us yeah. for sure. Let's talk about the original construction of the turkey decoys, um, and then you know feel free to branch into the goose decoys if you want to touch on that. But I want to focus primarily on the turkey decoys. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love, well, one of the things I love about the decoys is how durable they are. Um, it, almost almost every one of them, if not every single one of my decoys, has been shot by or multiple times by my hunters. If you shake every one of my uh, decoys, uh, they rattle um, because they've got shotgun pellets in them. And then I've had multiple uh, decoys uh, have been shot by arrows. And one of the things that always strikes me is, is unbelievable with the decoys is how they're able to take a, you know, a shot from a shotgun or multiple shots and... You, you can't even tell they're shot. The only way you can tell is by shaking them and there's pellets inside. Um, talk a little bit about the construction. And for me, the durability aspect, you know, keeping them lightweight but keeping them super durable. I mean, we're throwing them in and out of the Rangers, in and out of the back of my pickup, you know, running and gunning with these, with these decoys. And then literally, you know, you can watch my videos and they're just getting blasted. And you, you, by the time you get over to the decoy, you can't even tell it's shot. Talk a little bit about the construction and how important that construction is, you know, h how much that instruction, construction plays as an integral part of those decoys being such a success. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, it's, it's certainly become a major uh, component, you know, huge, huge advantage of um, of owning and hunting over a DSD is, like you say, you can you can certainly hit him with errant shot or even a direct shot, um, you know, shotgun or bow, and it doesn't compromise the the shape of the decoy uh, or the the surface. The paint bonds very well to it, and because the material we use, which we refer to as ACE technology, which is an acronym for advanced cross-link elastomer. Um, it's so flexible that it actually reseals itself. So pellet will go through it, and um, it's, it's more like rubber or foam, I guess you would say, um, than, than plastic. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it just is able to absorb the impact of whatever hits it and appear as though, you know, there was no penetration of the surface whatsoever. Um, 
Yeah, and the other thing, it, it, the, the paint, it, it, you would think that it would blast the paint off of it. It really doesn't. I mean, you can take my decoys and literally try and find, you know, like where did it get hit? And you're shaking it going, I, I can't even see where it got shot. Brad, how important do you think it is to have a decoy that can withstand a shot uh, and still have, you know, the integrity of shape and still have great color and, and look natural? How important do you think that is? It's extremely important. Um, as you well know, with a good realistic turkey decoy, most of your shots are taken within very close proximity to the decoy. You know, you've got a bird who's um, either attacking or displaying for um, a decoy, and they're typically within one or two feet. And sometimes they're even on top of your decoy. And um, the reality is sometimes no matter how hard we try to avoid hitting the decoy, it just happens. And like you, you know, I have a garage full of decoys that sound like rattle cans. Um, <laughs> so don't feel bad because you're not the only one that shoots your decoys. <laughs> most of them you know, get shot by my hunters and they go, yeah, most of my hunters go, did I just hit that decoy? And I look over at them and go, well, I'm not shooting the shotgun. Yes, you just hit my decoy and then just laugh because I know that they're going to walk up and they're like, oh, I need to get you a new one. And I'm like, go look at it. It, uh, there's not, you can't even see the, tell that you even shot it. They're like, well, did I hit it? I go, shake shake it, and they pull it off the stake, and it starts rattling, cracks me up. Well, Jay, you're supposed to say, yeah, you, you do need to buy me a new one. <laughs> yeah, but they see that I've got a whole truckload full. They're like, ah, he's got plenty of them. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the poses. Um, and you know the the poses for me and and the posture of the of the body and the head. Um, who does most of the research as far as either coming up with new poses or with I believe the eight poses or so that you guys have now? Um, who who's kind of the mastermind behind that? Dave is the mastermind, um, and he does a hundred percent of the artwork. And um, I give him some of my input, and we bounce different ideas off of one another. But in the end, you know, he's he's the talent. <laughs> um, he's, the, he's the talent, huh? Yeah, yeah. He's the, <laughs> okay. he's the talented one, and he he would be too modest to admit that. But uh, yeah, so we, you know, we we talk about. Um, different ideas for, you know, new poses and, and different, you know, color schemes. And um, that's, about, that's about it as far as my role goes in product development. I'm not as hands-on as Dave is. Okay, but, so um, from, a company, you know, I, from a company position, Dave is, is, is kind of the guy that is shaping and molding and, and, and the artistic and doing all that. Your role is your role more of the business part of, of of the business, or talk a little bit about your day to day and maybe how it's different than what Dave does. Yeah, my role is definitely more um, keeping up on things here um, at the the shop. Um, first of all, Dave works off site, 
he has a studio at his personal residence. It's actually um, about 75 miles away from our shop. And I work here at the shop daily. Um, so I, I was at one point overseeing all of the production. And fortunately for, for me, um, before I lost all of my hair, we were <laughs> able to find um, Greg Hogan. And he's been on the team now for um, coming up on two years now. And so he's actually taken over as our general manager. And he now oversees the production, which has been great because um, not only is it stressful, but it's really hard to focus on, um, you know, a lot of the really important components of a business outside of the production. And so we've really grown leaps and bounds since we brought Craig on board because it's really freed my hands up, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm able to do a lot more networking and PR stuff, uh, going to more shows and kind of thinking more in a creative sense, um, kind of helping steer the ship a little more here at the, at the shop rather than being so driven and focused on just you know, trying to keep up with demand all the time. Um, so, so in other words, Brad, there was so much demand and, and you guys were having to kick out so much product that the day-to-day -day stuff in getting that out was overwhelming you where you couldn't do some of the shows and do some of the forward thinking or forward looking and trying to deal with future business because the, the existing business was so overwhelming that it almost tied your hands where you couldn't um, do some of the things that, you know, trying to push the company forward, you couldn't do some of that because of the everyday just trying to get product out the door um, type, of, type of atmosphere. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, I mean, I know there was a couple of years ago, maybe yeah, three, four years ago, I mean, there was a time when you guys actually didn't even come to the NWTF show because it was you had so much demand, um, and and you know correct me if I'm wrong, but you absolutely had so much demand that that bog down, so to speak, was like we can't do any more marketing or we can't do any more shows because we need to keep up with what we have in our existing you know orders and such, right? That's right, and because, um, you know, we're, at DSD, we're unique um, in the sense that, you know, most decoy companies are, uh, many of them will design a product and then send it overseas, and so once the, once the design work is done, it's out of their hair and they don't touch it. They get to do the really fun stuff like, you know, marketing it and focusing on sales and, um we, we actually have to make the product, <laughs> and that's very time-consuming. So, uh, you know, it's hard to really make forward progress on your orders when you're trying to plan for shows and, you're, you know, you're taking time away from the shops um, because, well, the NWTF show is clear over in Nashville. We're out here in Oregon, 
And, you know, it's about a one-week commitment for us in terms of time. And so our productivity would be down during that time, and it's right during the peak of our um, turkey production season. So it was not an easy decision, but we felt it was the best decision to back out of the show. I think that would have been about in 2015, and we really committed ourselves to uh, delivering our, you know, our customers' orders in a timely manner. Yeah, and I mean, I remember you even came on the website and, you know, put a statement out about it that, you know, we're not going to be attending the show until we can get, you know, basically get production up and get all existing orders filled. And it was so nice to see you guys back at the show um, this year at NWTF. And um, so, so it's, you know, I've done several podcasts with um, Jason Harrison. He's with Kuyu. He's a sponsor of this podcast, um, and we've talked a lot about you know some of the growing pains with Kuyu and some of the things that he's gone through, and you know trying to do what's best for the company, um, trying to you know uh, service existing orders and what have you, and take care of the existing customers and. You know, I'm I'm sure you have all those stories too, where you you know you've got a small startup, if you will, and and you know huge demand, and um, you know quite honestly, there's lots of businesses that reach that point where you guys have been, and and have had a great product and have never been able to pull out of it, so to speak, because they can't make the decisions to you know have a general manager to you know, release some of that control. And I'm sure, you know, you had to spend money to get a general manager and you had to, you know, give up some of the baby, so to speak, in, in that, you know, I know in my own business it's hard sometimes to, to give up some of that control, but, you you know, that's that's always a good sign of, of you know, if you get the right person that the, the company can move forward. Um, I, I want to branch over and talk a little bit about the strutter and, you know, you, you guys started with the Hindi Koi's, and, man, the strutter comes on scene, and you can put real, you know, wing feathers on it. You can put real tail fan. Um, for me, um, you know, for my Gould's turkey hunts, especially down in Mexico, um, the, the, the strutter has just been a game changer. I mean, you know, it's, it's just an incredible decoy. It spins on its own stake, so when they come in, as as all your decoys do, but something about when they come up face to face with that strutter, and they you know start hitting it and capping it, and it's spinning around. I mean, it, those gobblers go nuts. Talk about um, the success of the strutter and and the feedback that you've gotten from customers. Uh, okay, yeah, um, I love the strutter for my own hunting purposes. Um, it's it's definitely my favorite. Uh, favorite of our turkey decoys to to use. Um, I don't hunt with it. Every time I go out, sometimes if I'm running and gunning and I need to be a little more mobile, I'll I'll use our Jake. But yeah, uh, Jake yeah that too. strutter is just so unmistakable. You know the visibility of that decoy from clear across an open field. There's no mistaking what it is, and it's really exciting to watch a bird eyeball him, you know, and just come in on a dead run. And that happens all the time with that decoy, especially if you want to incorporate a little motion into it too. 
you know, give it yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, put them on strings before and, and been able to spin it and move it back and forth, and it's, I mean, it's absolutely a game changer. Talk a little bit about the first strutter, you know, the first one, you know, your first time out in the field. Do you have any story where it was like, oh, this is going to be even better than we thought? I mean, did from the very get-go, was it like immediate response that this is going to be a great decoy? Uh, yeah, but to be honest with you, I've kind of felt that way about uh, all of our decoys. You know, we released the Jake decoy before the strutter, and I was instantly blown away by how effective it was. Um, and, yeah, so absolutely, I was, I was blown away by the strutter as well. I like the fact that you can use a mature... Uh, tail fan or a Jake fan, uh, you get those wings in there too, and and I, I think of all of our decoys, there's there's not another decoy in our entire line, duck or, or I'm sorry, goose or turkey line, or or even our deer that looks more like a real bird, you know. Yeah, for sure. Dave just Absolutely. really you know, nailed that pose. He did nail the pose. Um, Talking about the Jake, I always tell people when they call and say, which, you know, which DSD decoy do you like the best? I'm like, I like them all. Well, like, well, which one do you like the best? I said, well, the Strutter's unbelievable. Um, I said, but probably if I only had, I mean, please don't force me to just take one is what I tell them. But if I had to carry one decoy, I mean, hands down, if I had to carry one decoy, I'd carry the, the Jake. And the Jake for me on on all my hunts has been an unbelievable um, decoy. And you know, most of the videos you can see the bird come in. They'll kind of, you know, they'll either eyeball the strutter and they'll go straight over the Jake and just start beating the Jake. You know, just absolutely whipping his tail and just beating that Jake. And the one thing I really like is it pivots well, it spins well on the stake, um, and you know, they start hitting it and it. It's almost like the decoy's hitting back, and um, just an uh, just an unreal decoy. We had a, a hunter last year that uh, sh shot through the Gould's turkey. He's he's got the I don't know if you've seen it, Brad, but he's the bird has the Jake decoy's beak, like head and beak in his mouth, and he's just wrestling with it and fighting and going around in a circle and. And um, Lance draws back and shoots him, and it goes through the bird and into the Jake, and he continues to fight at that Jake, and then he pulls the arrows now stuck in the Jake decoy, and he pulls out of that. Um, it just had so many stories where another story a couple years ago where one of my archery hunters down there for Goulds draws back and shoots him, shoots the gobbler right kind of in the waddles, and he's pecking and fighting the Jake, and the Jake's spinning and kind of bouncing back on the bird. And blood is literally squirting out of the bird's neck. He's dead on his feet and doesn't even know it, and he's still fighting. And I think it goes back to that pose um, that Dave came up with. That pose is unbelievable, and it just uh, it just infuriates those gob gobblers. I mean, they just, they will not, I mean, they're already shot. They're dead on their feet, and they're still fighting it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of cool stories and experienced a lot of cool hunts with the with the Jake. That's for sure, and it goes the same with 
with all our turkey decoys like you, I like them all. You know, there's a, they all serve their own purpose. And uh, I'm really excited for our new mating motion pair. Um, oh, that's a decoy I saw it that at the really show. blew me away the first time I ever hunted over it. So I got to see it at the show, um, and, and Dave was, you know, making it, you know, pulling on the string, and, and I've got video of birds, you know, doing the exact thing um, on your mating hen or, or on the submissive hen, both. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about it. Tell, tell uh, you know, what made you guys do that and how much of an impact do you think it's going to have? I mean, this is the first season uh, that this um, mating motion Jake is going to be out there for the general public. Um, you know, talk a little bit about what you think it's going to do for people. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, the inspiration for doing the pair actually came on a hunt uh, a few years back Dave and I were, uh, we were on a bow hunt together, and we had, uh, we had a nice long beard. He was really hand up, and he was on the other side of a big open field, and no matter what we tried, um, he just wasn't interested in us whatsoever. You know, here was 200 yards between us and him, and, you know, we would call, we went through our whole vest of, you know, different calls, and he would hardly even look over in our direction. And um, it wasn't until a few minutes later when uh, a group of Jakes came in, and we had our submissive hen out, and they kind of sauntered their way over to her, and one of them finally kind of got up the courage to make a move, and next thing you know... He's standing on top of that submissive hen decoy, which for those who don't know is a, um, a hen pose that we have. She's actually laying on her belly, um, ready to accept a, a gobbler on top of her back. And boy, I tell you, as soon as that long beard from across the, the field caught sight of that Jake, he came on a dead sprint all the way across the field and uh <laughs> i can't remember if we ended up getting that bird or not but i know that dave and i looked at each other after that and we just said to ourselves we have got to do that next you know that 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 pair that look of of a young gobbler mounting a hen is what infuriated that bird and caused him to run, you know, 200 yards, um, you know, to meet his maker. And uh, so, we, you know, we've been kicking around the idea of, of adding an additional pose to our turkey line, and it was real simple at that point. We said, you know, that's just, that's such a, such an incredible reaction to get. You know, let's make it happen as often as we want. Mm -hmm. So um, Absolutely. So anyhow, um, and we'd always wanted to do a motion decoy too. And a lot of customers had asked us to do uh, a motion decoy in our turkey line. And so it just made, it made sense. And so what the, the decoy represents is, is a young, young Jake, and he is standing on top of a hen 
and like they do in the wild, he's trying to maintain his balance while he literally stands on top of her back, and she's laying on her belly, flat against the ground, and um, he's just kind of jostling back and forth in a kind of rocking motion while he waits for her to lift her tail. The act of breeding is actually really fast. Uh, most of the time is spent with a gobbler standing on top of the hen, just waiting for several minutes for her to lift her tail. And then the actual act of copulation only takes a matter of three or four seconds. Um, but in that, in that time, while they're doing their balancing act, uh, there's a lot of motion. There's a lot of motion yeah. coming from that gobbler and all the other birds, they recognize right away what is, what's going on and they can, you know, they can pick it out from a long ways away and um, those dominant birds especially, uh, they, they just don't tolerate it. Yeah, I think it's going to be unbelievable. I, I haven't had a chance to use, uh, to use it yet, but I think it's going to be phenomenal. A couple questions that I have for you about the mating motion, Jake. Um, from a mechanic standpoint, can the motion Jake be used if without the hen? In other words, can the stake be you know staked in the ground and it and it have motion without you know the hen being underneath it? Um, yes, that's the first question. Yes, it can. Okay, so if you had tall grass or something you know, and, and say you were running and gunning, you didn't have time or what have you, I believe, and I'm curious your thoughts, that you still could get that motion and get the same sense, um, you know, and have good reaction. Obviously, the mating hen beneath it adds to it when they get closer and, you know, walk up to it. But don't you agree that just that motion itself and just the body position that Dave came up with is going to be a game changer? Absolutely. The motion itself implies that there is most likely a hen um, Getting you know, underneath that bird. And, and, you know, you actually, Jay, you'll see in the wild um, quite often birds that will be doing the dance without a partner. Yep, right on the uh, ground. Yeah, yep, just literally yep. standing on the ground. I have video of that, so. actually, yeah. Yep. So, um, but um, talk about the talk about the mechanics of of so people can kind of understand it. Obviously, go to DaveSmithDecoys.com and you can see pictures of it. But um, you 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 lay the hen down. The stake obviously is going to go through that hen, I would assume, uh, and then the jake goes on top. That's correct. So the first thing you want to do is you want to lay your pull cord out. It's a, it's a pull cord operated motion system. You want to lay your pull cord out on the ground. You want to, you want to stake it to the ground. Um, the cord includes a spool and two eye screws, and so you want to, you want to sink those eye screws into the, into the ground roughly three feet apart. The hen then goes on top of the cord, and there's a little, there's a little tunnel cut on the underside of her belly and that straddles the cord and at the one end of the line there is a swivel 
that will actually attach to an eyelet in the back, the, the, the end of the tail of the jake. So first you want to put your cord down, stake the eye screws into the ground, lay your mating hand down over the cord, and then there's a hole drilled in the back, the lower back of the hen. You want to then insert the stake down through her back and down into the ground, and then you load the jake on top of it and hook that swivel up um, to the tail on the jake, and then run your cord back to your blind. And then just by pulling the cord, so if, if the, if the uh, cord is staked down, in other words, it's fairly taut to the ground, um, then as you pull, it just bounces that, that jake's tail, if you will, up and down, and it gives it that breeding motion. And that's where if a bird is out there and can see your spread, and, and you know, they're kind of looking, you just give it a little, I mean, I don't think it's going to take very much, just give it a little little pull, and it gets that jake kind of bouncing a little bit, and I think you're going to have an immediate reaction of, of gobblers, you know, basically running. And I've seen it in the wild. Um, we... We actually, Brad, before you guys came up with this, um, I would take your uh, submissive hen and literally stake the jake right, like, right by it, in essence, and got some great video last year of birds. Um, you know, and my idea was get that jake by that breeding hen. As soon as they see the jake, then they look down and see, see the, you know, the, the, the submissive hen laying down there. Um, and now you guys have taken it a step further and added that motion. I, I, I think it's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. And, and that was the idea behind the breeding pair, you know, which was the Jake and the submissive hen um, and included as a set. You know, we, we would lay the submissive hen down on the ground in close proximity to the Jake. He would be facing her from the rear. And um, it was to give the appearance of a Jake who was just about to climb up on top of um, a receptive hen. Now he's taking it a step further, and he's actually standing on top of her. And, right. and you're absolutely right as far as not needing a whole lot of motion. Just a little tug on that cord is going to get the bird's attention. And really, um, once they see the decoy, a little more motion... Uh, it can't hurt, but I tell you what, a lot of it, Jay, is actually in the profile of that decoy. The Jake has a big hump in his back, and his tail is down low. I mean, he's, it's a, they've really nailed the pose. Well, and it, the wings, just to me, the, the wings being down, it's exactly, I mean, I went back and looked at my videos, and it's like, that's the exact pose with the, you know, it's kind of humped up, if you will. And the wings yep. are down. I mean, it, it's it's the exact pose. And so I think, honestly, I think if you, I think there's going to be guys that are going to tell you after the season that you know they didn't even have time to pull it, but the the gobbler came within distance, saw that the hump in his back, and knew exactly. And you know, obviously, the guys that give it a little motion are going to you know probably have them just get run over. But I think you're also just from the pose alone. Uh, going to have some phenomenal response. Let's let's um, branch out here and talk a little bit about 
the white-faced strutter and the white-faced Jake. Um, I, I am also scheduled to have uh, Matt Winters from Kansas, and I believe he had a little bit of input with you guys uh, on the white-faced strutter. Talk a little bit about that ad to the decoy line this year and your thoughts behind that. Uh, and if you have personally haven't had a chance to use, I mean, obviously turkey season hasn't started yet in most states, but um, talk a little bit about that white face strutter and white face Jake. Sure. Well, I really never put a whole lot of thought uh, myself, and I don't want to speak for Dave, but I don't think he really had either, into the idea of, of painting either the strutter or the Jake, you know, with a white, with a white face. Um, but then this crazy guy from Kansas called us up, uh, Matt Winters, and he kept saying, "Man, you gotta, you gotta make me a white face strutter. You gotta make me a white face strutter." And so eventually we, you know, we caved in and we sent him one. And man, he just started. You guys are probably thinking this guy's a pain in our butt. Why are we even doing this? So let's <laughs> let's just do it. So he's let's just do it. So he stops calling. <laughs> uh, um, he just started. No, com no comment. All right? these. What's that? No comment, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. And that's a great guy. He's super, super into turkey hunting. And um, he's a really high-energy kind of guy. He drink, he's the kind of guy, he drinks like two or three rock stars a day. Just gets, you know? just gets fired up. I like it. He gets super fired up like nobody I've ever met before. Um, but he's a great guy and a super avid turkey hunter, and he wanted a white face strutter, and we made him one, and next thing you know, he's just sending us all these hero shots of, you know, him and his clients. He guides down in Kansas, um, you know, him and his clients with, with um, you know, one long beard after another, and I believe by the end of that first season, he racked up like something crazy, like 60 or 70 birds over that, over that decoy. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And um, so, and this would have been, let's see, it's spring of 18. No, this would have been spring of 16. And so last spring, uh, Dave and I thought, well, you know, let's, let's try a couple ourselves and see what happens. So I hunted all of spring of 2017, over a white face strutter, and um, I was blown away. Uh, you know, I had the best season to date uh, using the strutter decoy, and you know, um, was it was it all because of the white face paint job on that decoy? I couldn't say for sure. Um, there's still a lot of debate as far as what exactly is the white face strutter saying you know what is he conveying to other birds because like you know like like you know turkeys they communicate mostly nonverbal and and so it, it's it's a there's a lot that can be said for a bird's attitude based on its coloration in its head and its body posture and yeah. you know to be honest i don't know if anybody can say for sure what a gobbler is conveying when his head goes white, but I can tell you this much: the other gobblers don't like it. 
Um, that's, that's about all I can say for sure. I can't wait to try it this year, um, and, I, and I'm excited to have Matt on the podcast. I'm actually scheduled to have him on in the morning, so it's going to be fun to have these episodes um, running close to each other and get his take on it as well. Um, you know, two, let's see, not last season, but the season before, uh, you guys had, I had been asking for, because I hunt Merriams and Goulds, and um, you guys actually did some more white on the hens uh, and the jakes uh, for me, and, and um, I was able to take them down and had great response. And again, I'm not saying that I had better response because the tail feathers on the on the jake and on the hens were were more white. I will tell you, it looked more natural for the you know the Goulds have a ton of white on them, and our Merriams do as well. Um, I'm wondering, are you still running those um, you know whiter color schemes, uh, or was that something you just did you know kind of for that year? I still have a handful of them that have white color, and I know if if every if every customer you had started you know asking for custom stuff, it, it would get uh, time-consuming. But was there any feedback with some of your Western guys on, on Merriam's and such that they liked that color scheme? Well, we we only did it for you, Jay, because we we admire you and think you're so cool. <laughs> oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> no, um, yeah, absolutely. There's been, um, there's been quite a few requests over the years for – uh, Merriam and and Gould's paint jobs and and uh, we're certainly willing to accommodate it um, at no extra charge. You, you have to order uh, direct from us in order to to get the custom. You paint have to job, order a hundred um, in order to get the custom paint job. But if you order under a hundred, <laughs> if you order ninety nine or less, you don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Go to DaveSmithDecoys.com and get them now. Um, no, I, I just thought that was pretty cool, and I still use them. And, and my hunters comment, you know, some of the some of the um, hens are different colors. And they're like, man, that one looks. And I'm like, yeah, because you know it's got more white on it, and, and those guys put it on there. But it, it, it's it's pretty neat that you guys um, can take some feedback from a guy like Matt, and you know, come out with the white face strutter. I'm super excited to see all the customer feedback um, from across the country. And, and get people's opinion. I'm always curious of what people perceive and what they think, and it'll be interesting to see if if they feel that the white face is outperforming, you know, the regular strutter. Uh, and uh, it's going to be exciting, exciting to you know see how that shakes out. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um, Brad, I want to uh, talk a little bit about your spring coming up. Um, do you have big plans to go, you know, multiple states or anything? Are you going to hunt in your backyard right there in, in Oregon? Or what, what do you have planned for turkey hunting yourself? Uh, my plans for this upcoming spring are to hunt locally. Uh, I like to hunt throughout Oregon, uh, both east and west. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the terrain here, but essentially the western third of the state is really lush and green um, where it rains all the time, and that area is 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 Rio's. And um, the central and eastern portion of the state where it's higher elevation and drier climate 
Um, you get a mixture of, of Rios and, and Merriams there, and I tend to hunt the areas where uh, we get into more Merriams. Um, some of the higher elevation Ponderosa Pine Forests reminds me a lot of the Black Hills uh, in South Dakota. So, unfortunately, with my schedule and this being um, a pretty insanely busy spring in terms of of order volume, um, I will not be going out of state. But I love hunting here in Oregon, uh, Eastern Oregon. You guys Oregon, have phenomenal turkey hunting, don't you? We do. Um, yeah. You know, it's certainly as a state. I mean, it Oregon as a state, it's pretty dang good state for turkey hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have the highest population of turkeys, but uh, there are, you know, there's great opportunities to go out after them. Um, you know, and there's plenty of public opportunities if a guy wants to head east, and there's opportunities if a guy wants to knock on doors and chase these west side rios too. Um so it, it's a lot of fun. It's two kind of two different styles of hunts, really. Well, that's awesome. Um, uh, mutual friend Casey Brooks um, keeps wanting me to get up there to that northwest country and do some hunting. And you know, I'm usually pretty tied up with my Goulds turkey hunts um, and and some of the Merriams and other other states that I hunt and stuff. But uh, someday I'll get up there and do some hunting. Um, Brad, I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's been a good one. Uh, I want to remind the listeners, I'll link it up in the show notes. Um, make sure to go to davesmithdecoys.com. Uh, you can also follow these guys on Instagram, uh, Dave Smith Decoys, uh, and Facebook, uh, I believe, uh, for sure, Instagram. And I, I just, uh, do you have any final thoughts or concluding thoughts uh, or anything that we didn't cover in the podcast that you want the listeners to know uh, or, or any, any, just any concluding thoughts? Well, um, I, I'd like to say, first and foremost, we do have a Facebook page, and that is a great way to um, to contact us and, and give us your feedback. You know, we, we love input. We, we love ideas for what, you know, what you want to see next. So, you know, that anything is possible. We, we didn't think we'd be making turkey decoys, you know, 10 years ago. And now it's our, you know, best-selling line by far. So uh, we're, we, we love to hear from our customers. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are a great way to get a hold of us. And, Tell us, you know, tell us what you like, what you what you don't like, um, and and what you want to see us do next. Yeah, and also I I imagine that you encourage uh, you know customers to send in their photos, uh, you know, send them to you guys. You guys want to see the success photos of the decoys uh, in the photos and such. Um, is there a specific place where they they can send those? Yeah, or is um, that through the website? Through the website is uh boy, there's a link and I wish I knew it off the top of my head. Um I'm actually looking at it here on I'm actually looking at it here on your website. If if they go to your website and there's a place where they can submit photos, I'm looking at it right here. So 
Um, DaveSmithDecoys.com, guys, go and you can submit these photos. Uh, and it's fun to see every once in a while the, the uh, social media. Um, you guys are posting not only your, your content from, you know, from corporate headquarters, if you will, but you're also posting uh, customers' uh, photos. So that's pretty neat that uh, people are getting to be featured on your, on your social media site. So, uh, Brad, thanks for coming on and sharing with us. Uh, we've had fun today, and I just uh, commend you guys on the uh, incredible work, solid work that you guys do with the decoys. Um, I know that's, that's what I use, and uh, I've used them and beat them up over the years, and they're still keep right on ticking. So um, congratulations for finding a formula to make, you know, super durable decoys and uh, keep up all the great work. Can't, can't wait to see, you know, this motion Jake and, and um, what, you know, the white face strutter. There's just so much going on this year that's going to be exciting to see, uh, you know, the, the smiles on the customer's faces for sure. Because I know I'm going to have a smile on my face. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. Keep in touch, buddy, and, and thanks for having me. Um, let me know how your season goes, and um, yeah, we really we appreciate your support and, and and your time for sure. All right, tell give Dave a punch in the arm, and one of these days I'm gonna we'll uh, rope him and tie him down and make him come on here and say a few words as well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that that sounds great, and do me a favor. Tomorrow morning, when you when you talk to Matt Winters, ask him if he's had his uh, his purple drink yet. Okay, I'll, I'll, that'll be the first question I ask him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Sounds buddy. Good. Take care. God bless. All right. Okay. Bye. You too. Thanks.